Thank you, Rick. <clears throat> we sang Holy Bible Book Divine. We sang the B-I-B-L-E. We read from Proverbs 29. This morning and for the next few weeks, want to do a series of sermons on the Bible, Bible translation, how we got the Bible. And there's reasons why I'm doing that. I'll explain them in just a second. And again, I don't want to spend excess time on this, but take a few weeks. I think it'll be profitable. But why discuss Bible translations? There are many translations available in the U.S. And which one do we use? You have King James, you have the New King James, you have American Standard, you have the New American Standard, you have the English English Standard Bible, you have the NIV, you have the NIV 11, and I could go on. Secondly, there's much confusion about Bible translation and the history of Bible translation, and just give some of that and try to shed some light on it. There is much confusion about how to select a translation. Many believers have little knowledge of the history of how we got our current English translation. And again, just insight is profitable and helpful. There has been much heat and little light concerning Bible translations, whether it be the King James, the TNIV, the NIV, I, the message. And that has resulted in some division in our area over the years. In light of the many translations available in our country, I think we should have some knowledge of translations to be effective ambassadors in our culture. We currently use the NIV, which is no longer in print. The updated version, the NIV 11, is in print. So my question is, do we use the NIV 11, or do we switch or move to a different translation? And we will seek to answer that in the next couple of weeks. I think it's a valid question. So if you go to buy an NIV now, you will not get the NIV that has been available for the last 25 years. You will get the NIV 11. To challenge us to be doers of God's word and not hearers only. We can discuss Bible translations, but we want to be doers of the word, not merely knowing about translations. As a pastor, it's not always easy to address some subjects, especially if they're controversial, and the Bible translation issue has been somewhat controversial over the years. And my desire is to not be defensive, not to attack people, but to present facts, present the truth. And just a little bit of my perspective. I want to be a faithful shepherd obeying the commands given to me by the chief shepherd. I'm under Christ's authority and will give an account to him. And if you will, or if you're willing, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Paul is speaking to the elders in Ephesus not in Ephesus, but speaking to the elders in Ephesus. They came to see him. And Paul says in Acts 20 and verse 25, 
Acts 20 and verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Paul says to the elders, keep watch over yourself. Also, keep watch over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, and then be shepherds of God's flock. And it's my desire as shepherd to lead our church in a godly way. And because of our use of the NIV, and that no longer being in print, we will have to make a decision as to what direction we go. So I want to share some background in relation to that. And then also turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Again, my desire to be a faithful shepherd. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say, to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to mess. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now he clearly says in verse 3, for the time will come when Men will not put up with sound doctrine. And back in Acts 20, he talked about the fact that, you know, things would come up that are not good. And in relation to the whole issue of Bibles and Bible translation, over the years there has been much said that has created confusion in the body of Christ. And I want to be a faithful shepherd and hopefully shed some light and not too much heat on it. You could look at Titus 1, you could look at 1 Peter 5 also. To my knowledge, I have not led you astray, nor do I plan to lead you astray at this time. I'll go back one. I want to display the fruit of the Spirit as I teach. I'm under divine authority to walk in the Spirit even when I'm discussing a controversial issue. And if you read some of the materials I did, you probably would understand, you know, that there can be quite a bit of heat over Bible translations. I recognize that I've been given to the church by God to help you mature in the faith 
so that you're not tossed about by every wind of doctrine coming from Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. My concern is for us as a body. I realize I'm not the final authority, nor am I an expert in Bible translations. I acknowledge that. However, I've done enough research to teach the issue in a knowledgeable manner. I've read a great deal. I've talked to some very knowledgeable people, and I trust that that will come out as we go along. My desire is to address the issue in light of history and truth, thus avoiding any attack on individuals. I'm a student as well as a teacher. In order to teach effectively, I must learn from others. Thus, I've read books, I've read articles, and I also realize I haven't arrived. So if you have questions along the way, ask. If you have one on the way out of a service, ask. I will seek to answer, maybe not in the spot, but give me enough time to do my research if I don't have a ready answer. I believe I'm trustworthy as a pastor and teacher. I have and will attempt to be faithful to the truth and to the facts. And I will try to keep my bias out of the picture because I don't want that there at all. There has been controversy in the last 10 to 12 years over the TNIV and the NIV 11 more recently. I've read various views and will be drawing a conclusion in a couple weeks. I love you deeply, unconditionally committed to you, and again, feel free to ask questions along the way. Now let's think about the standard in Bible translation. The standard in Bible translation is not the NIV. It is not the King James Version. It is not the English Standard Bible or the ESB. It's not the New American Standard, nor is it the New King James Bible. Please get that through. The standard in Bible translation is not some translation. To compare one translation with another translation to determine if it is good, or a good translation is not wise. No translation can be the standard. It's the original languages in which Scripture were written, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Most of the Bible, most of the Old Testament being in Hebrew, some in Aramaic, the New Testament in Greek. That's the standard. So you may say, is the NIV 11 accurate in this passage? Don't go to the NIV, don't go to the English Standard Version or the King James. You say, well, I can't go back to the original languages. I understand that, but you can ask someone that can, or you can read someone that can, but that's what scholars do. Thus, the question for any translation, is it faithful in communicating the meaning of the original language? No, go back to the original language. And again, I know you can't. <clears throat> I can't, especially in the Hebrew. But again, you can read, you can ask, and ask very pointed questions. So the standard is the original languages. It's not another translation. I remember years ago, 
when there was some debate in our area over the King James translation that uh, some were saying, well, this new translation does not compare to the King James quite right. And the King James has made the standard. No, go back to the original languages. And the same is true today. If you're taking the NIV 11 and are going to compare that to the NIV, it's not a fair comparison. Go back to the, or find someone that can help you go back to the original languages. We'll look at some of that as we go along. We're not language scholars. Thus, we'll have to trust individuals to a certain extent. Why even translate the Bible? <clears throat> for theology. We need the Bible for correct teaching. We need the Bible for correct teaching. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is used for profitable, for doctrine or teaching, correction, rebuking, correction and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Second Peter talks about that also, that God has given us his word. Also in relation to uh, <clears throat> Bible translation, the scripture has been given in historical context. None of the contexts were English. English did not exist as a language when the Bible was given. English wasn't even around. Scripture came to humans in primarily two languages, Hebrew with some Aramaic, and then also Greek, primarily Koine Greek. Koine Greek was the language of, or not the language of the elite, but of the common Greek the language of everyday life in first century Roman world. I think that is significant. Both Hebrew and Greek have changed over the years, not the identical form as when scripture would have been written. So why translate scripture? Languages differ from one another. A reality in languages, even connate languages, those that have a common background really do differ from one another. The task of translation is transferring the meaning in words and sentences from one language to another. Remember when I was speaking in the Dominican Republic, one of the first times I spoke over there, Zero Brown was translating and sometimes I thought, Zero, where are you going with this? Well, he was trying to communicate my meaning in Spanish. When, we were in, when I was in Ghana, teaching in Ghana, remember the one class I was teaching and saw the guy get a little grin in his face and the students got a grin on their face and I thought to myself, what's he saying to them? <laughs> was he translating what I said 
to them? Or was he, you know, maybe adding a little to it or whatever? But in translation, that's what you're doing. You're translating from one language to another. You're taking the original or source language into meaningful words and sentences of a second language known as the receptor or target language. At the core is the need to be faithful to both languages. Word-for-word -word translation from one language to another is inadequate. You can't just take Hebrew or Greek and translate it word-for-word -word and make sense. It just doesn't work, and we'll give some examples along the way. Now, I have a question. Can anyone tell me what this word means? Bear, B-E-A-R. Can anyone tell me what it means? What does B-E-A-R mean? A guy took my bird feeder down last night. A guy took the bird feeder down last night. <laughs> okay. Anyone else? What does B-E-A-R mean? <coughs> Carrie? <laughs> okay, the guy that took the clothes... Or... Could have... Okay, it could have been without clothing. It could have been bare. <laughs> now, what if you take the word bare and translate it to another language? And the person, is it an animal? Is it carrying something? Or don't they have any clothing on? Now, that's very, very minor and very, very small, but think about it. You're translating from one language to another. It's not always simple. So what a Bible translation? <clears throat> the ultimate concern is to put Hebrew and Greek sentences into meaningful English sentences and the equivalent to communicate you know, from one language to another. I want to give an example. Mark 4 and verse 30. Mark 4 and verse 30, the King James says, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? Now that's the King James. The American Standard says, How shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or in what parable shall we set forth? The NIV 11 says, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? The Holman Christian Standard says, how shall we illustrate the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? Now you will notice there's some difference in wording. We're dealing with different translations. And if you compare the King James and the Holman Christian Standard, no, again, some difference. King James would have been translated most recently in 1769. Language was some different than the Holman Christian Standard, which was translated in recent years. A good translation is where there is an emphasis on imitating as closely as possible the words and grammar of the Hebrew or Greek, 
of the Hebrew or Greek text. Now again, you know, trying to stay close to the text and on producing idiomatic and natural sounding English. The best translations are where translators have tried to be faithful to both languages, the one they're translating from and the one they're translating to. Now again, just to have a little fun with language, can anyone here tell me what it means to red up your room? What does it mean to red up your room, Brenda? It means to clean it up. I remember years ago, <clears throat> something was said about redding up your room, and someone just looked at, red up your room? Do you know what it means to out in the light? <laughs> Turn it off. Again, some people know what that means. Do you ever hear the phrase, throw over the horse some, some hay? Throw over the fence. <laughs> throw the horse over the fence some hay. Again, language is different. And when you're translating from one to another, it's not always simple. The task of translation requires some expertise in both languages. So some facts to keep in focus. Scripture is profitable for doctrine, teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness, not merely some translation. And I make that distinction. It's Scripture. Will you say it's available in English and Spanish and so on? Yes, but it's not a given translation. That is profitable. Beware of focusing so much on a specific version that we miss the fact that Scripture is powerful, not a specific translation. The good translation is the one we read, meditate upon, and obey. This is a true account. There was a man who was arguing very, very, very strongly for a specific translation, and I won't mention the translation. And because of some feedback that I got through some people in our community, I thought I'm going to give the man a call and talk to him personally and not talk to others. So I called the man, and he was out of town at the time. And I said, you know, I would like to get together with you and discuss your th comments that you have made in writing on uh, about translations. And uh, he said, I can't now. I'm not going to be home for a while. And I said, okay. I thought he would contact me. We didn't get home. So I gave him another call. And again, he was out of town. I said, I want to talk to you. And he said, I want to talk to you about what you've written and what you've said about translations. I have some questions. He refused to get together with me. He refused. And I was somewhat concerned. My concern came that he was so very, very strong in an issue. And while he was strong in that issue, he was involved in immorality. He had a preference he desired and liked. That's fine. but live it out. 
So we may say which translation is the best. I don't know as we can say which is the best, but the one we use, live it out, practice it, obey it. And I think there are some that are better, better than others, and I will seek to answer that. Question. In the How of Bible Translation, how did the translators go about their task? You know, as people translate Scripture, one question you can ask, has the translation been done by a committee or by a single individual? A committee tends to be better. Some translations, maybe better worded paraphrases available today. The Message by Eugene Peterson has been done by an individual. The Living Bible has been done by Ken Taylor. Years ago, he wanted to try to write something that would help his kids understand Scripture. Again, done by an individual. Just, you know, being aware of that. If the translation was done by a committee, what kind of representation did the committee have? Some questions to consider. Was there a broad enough diversity of denominational and theological backgrounds so that pet points on some view didn't win the day? I grew up as a Mennonite. Most Mennonites, at least back then, wore the ladies, wore a little thing in their head called a covering. Some of them wore, even wore strings in their coverings, and the men, you know, would wore, or wear, you know, their plain suit, you know, that didn't wear a tie, you know, worldly like I am. Now, suppose you have all Mennonites translating Scripture. There may be a temptation to make sure they emphasize the covering that they wear. Now, if Baptists are translating it, they probably would make sure it clearly says baptism is by immersion, you know, and they would emphasize that to the nth degree. So, who was on the committee? Did the committee have representation of both men and women? Was there a broad, broad range of ages and life experiences? Did the committee have members who were recognized experts in each of their biblical languages in the matters related to text, textual criticism? So I had some questions about the NIV 11. So I called a guy and I said, you know, I trust your expertise. I would like to get together with you. He said, sure, we'll get together. So I made a trek up to his place, and we sat and talked for a couple hours. And I had very pointed questions. I said, I, I'm not the Greek scholar that you are. And he responded. When it comes to translation, you know, some ability. Were there English stylists on the committee who could distinguish truly natural English from archaic language? No, language changes over time. If the translation decision was made by a committee, what was the process? You know, was it a simple majority? Was it closer to two-thirds? You say, I don't know how to find all that out. Usually at the beginning of your Bible, you will have a preface. Read it. 
it'll answer many of your questions. The King James Bible, which was translated in 1611, has what they call to the reader. And if you read to the reader, and if you wade through that, let me know. I'll take you out for dinner. If you wade through that, it's heavy stuff. You know, back in 1611, words were different and so on. But if you wade through it, it really gives you an understanding of the King James translators and what their thinking was. But if you have your current King James Bible, which was a 1769 translation, you will not find that be, to be present. At least it isn't in mine. I'm not sure why they you know, took it out, but that tells you something about the translation. If you have an NIV, you'll probably find the beginning a preface of at least three pages. NIV 11, you will find the same thing. Holman Christian Standard, I think, you find the same thing also. Okay, I need to wrap it up. I want to consider some basic language facts next week and then also look at uh, some history of how we got our Bible. And as I wrap it up, I would pose a question. When translating Scripture, does gender imply male or female. So if you have a feminine word in the original language, does it mean that it's referring to a female? If you have a masculine term, does it mean it's referring to a male? Think about that. I'll answer you next week. But I think that's very important in some of the language debate.